Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello everyone, this is Jayan Sriram, welcoming you to a special B20 episode of the CII Podcast. As you may know, CII is a secretariat for the B20 India Engagement Group. And through this important platform, B20 India is facilitating conversations on economic growth and development opportunities through various B20 India task forces and action councils. Today we'll be discussing the role of private sector in emerging and frontier markets in global trade. Trade organized through value chains has proven to be an important engine of growth for emerging and frontier markets. The disaggregation of the production process offers new opportunities for export and helps add value to trade from developing regions. The private sector has become an important partner in efforts to build trade capacity and its role is crucial particularly following the decline in official development assistance that has occurred in the wake of the global financial crisis governments are increasingly turning to public private partnerships as a tool to access resources to build infrastructure and support other sectors to discuss this today we have with us anna kompanet director for global programs center for international private enterprise and ritika singh program manager global programs center for international private enterprise Thanks for making the time today, Anna and Ritika, and thank you for joining us in the CII podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And um, Anna, I'm going to start with you. Um, so the private sector is poised to build on the strong economic growth in many LDCs, and has proved that substantial private participation in global value chains can establish a conducive business environment and a level playing field. What are the various challenges faced by private enterprises in LDCs to be more inclusive and competitive in global value chain? Well, thank you so much for this question. And obviously, there are a lot of issues we could we could touch upon here. Um, I will start from the perspective of uh, our work. So, Center for International Private Enterprise, or CIP, uh, is an internationally international um, nonprofit organization uh, which is business focused. Uh, we work primarily. Uh, in um, emerging and frontier markets. Um, we are based in Washington, D.C., though. Uh, we are also an affiliate of the U.S. Uh, Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and a lot of our focus um, comes uh, to helping local uh, businesses and uh, governments address the barriers that are really uh, institutional and systemic in nature because we believe that is where uh, the most impact can happen uh, when reforms happen. Um, some of those barriers, I would just, you know, obviously there are many to talk about, but I would um, highlight maybe just three uh, groups that really impact the um, uh, operating environment for business. Uh, so one is uh, simply barriers to entry into the formal market um, in many uh, emerging economies. Actually, when you look at, um, at the majority of, of employment, it is created in the informal sector. So there are a lot of small, medium-sized uh, micro companies uh, that uh, due to barriers to registration or uh, the cost of it or other uh, requirements that are needed to enter the formal economy stay in the informal market. So they cannot really access their domestic market, uh, let alone international markets and global value chains. So that's, that's still a, a large issue uh, in many countries. Uh, beyond that, there uh, is a difficult operating uh, environment uh, and there are many aspects of it ranging from um, perhaps insecure property rights, uh, limited access to finance, um, problems with um, 
adjudicating contracts or, or business uh, disputes, so the, the judicial system perhaps being slow or inefficient, um, levels of corruption and so on. Um, and finally, specifically when we talk about the ability or lack of businesses to expand uh, uh, operations into global value chains, uh, there are simply barriers that they face uh, when it comes to uh, transporting their goods and services. So I'm talking here about infrastructure, uh, both physical, uh, so you know, roads, uh, railroads, airports, and so on, but also increasingly in this day and age, uh, digital. Um, many businesses uh, are trying to break in into uh, the digital services market or perhaps sell their goods online uh, when the internet access is insufficient. Uh, obviously, that's a problem. And then businesses, uh, you know, assuming uh, they can get to the border, the border itself uh, can be a problem when um, the processes around trade facilitation are insufficient, or perhaps there's a lot of bureaucracy at the border. It takes a lot of time to uh, import and export goods. Um, so beyond uh, those larger institutional barriers, uh, it's also worth highlighting that there are specific groups uh, within those countries that um, may face barriers through um, legal system or custom uh, or maybe unequal access to things like uh, education and skill development. I'm thinking here in particular about groups such as uh, women. So you may be familiar with Women, Business and the Law uh, report by the World Bank, which details uh, certain uh, professions and that in some countries uh, are um, um, have limited access for women um, but also through custom uh, in some countries women have problems with um, enforcing their property rights or being able to access finance um, youth another major group and of course the group that we do want to engage in business become entrepreneurs enter global value chains uh, perhaps the educational systems do not quite provide them with um, the relevant skills. Um, uh, perhaps there are perceptions around entrepreneurship and business in the society that make it a less attractive career path. Uh, and then another group I would mention, since um, it, it is often overlooked, uh, are persons with disabilities. Um, most of them, you know, 80% or so. Uh, actually live in developing countries um, and yet uh, and, and in many cases there are fairly uh, easy and cost-effective accommodations then that can be made for them to be able to participate in business run companies um, and yet in many countries that uh, still uh, isn't sufficient uh, so that was sort of a quick uh, outline of, of larger problems um, from our perspective uh, but I think it's also crucial to not to dwell just on problems, but also on the solutions. And we'll get into that a little bit more into in, into, in this conversation. Uh, I would only say that from Saib's perspective, uh, engagement uh, between local private sector uh, represented by chambers of commerce, business associations and governments is crucial because through public private dialogue, uh, we can identify those areas that are country specific. Uh, where those barriers to um, for local companies to be inclusive and competitive in global value chains um, is, are specifically, and then you know what are the priorities, what are the uh, the, the openings uh, for reform. Uh, the second avenue I would highlight is um, larger public-private partnerships. Um, here, SIP is involved in. Um, uh, Global Alliance for Trade Facilitation um, with International Chamber of Commerce and World Economic Forum. 
uh, where we help structure sort of larger cooperation between local private sector governments and also international donors to focus on specific reforms at the border, such as expanding single window uh, systems or modernizing um, customs procedures uh, to help precisely with, with that last uh, barrier, the trade, uh, trade facilitation and barriers at the border. Um, I'll stop here, happy to answer any follow-up uh, questions you may have. Yeah, thank you so much. I think it was really useful to have that um, that short description about SIPE and also, you know, your larger outline that, that you started with about the problems. Um, and, you know, just to sort of build on from there. Um, so private enterprises are critical for economic development, of course. They have the ability to assemble people, capital and innovation to create jobs and produce goods and services profitably. Um, can you shed some light on how private enterprises and LDCs are aligning themselves with the increasing role of sustainability standards in global value chain? Um, yes, so I think you, you made a crucial point here. Uh, when we talk about long-term um, sustainability, it is necessary to think about financial sustainability first. So to play this positive role in finding profitable solutions to the problems of people on the planet, uh, businesses, first of all, need to be just that businesses, right? So they need um, a sound business model. They need good corporate governance. Uh, and only from there, uh, they can sort of take a, a broader view of, uh, you know, what, what is the, the impact? What is the role that they have um, on the environment, in the society and so on? Uh, so other aspects of sustainability, uh, to my mind, really emerge from uh, this long term uh, view of how do we maintain financial sustainability as a business and really come down to uh, risk management and transforming risk into value. So when businesses think about their operations, um, they you know examine different areas where they may have positive or negative impact on the environment, on, on the society and so on. Uh, if that impact is negative, that is a risk to their long-term uh, profitability and being able to, to operate. If they uh, mitigate those areas of risk, if they transform them into value, um, that is really in their, in their best um, interest long-term. Long uh, so from, from that perspective, focus on sustainability is sort of the next, you know, it's a logical step for, for, uh, for all businesses. Um, and indeed, uh, as you notice internationally, uh, sustainability standards, emphasis on them is a growing trend in global value chains, uh, driven by various factors. So in some countries, there is, um, like in, in the EU countries, for instance, there is a growing trend toward regulation that would be, you know, more explicitly spells out uh, the sustainability standards. Uh, there's an international movement um, uh, by the, the International Standards Board to, to maybe also uh, spell out exactly you know, what, what's, what those standards are. Uh, at this point, probably the lack of that global harmonization is, is one of the, the issues um, since there's you know, there maybe different interpretations of what those standards mean. Um, but at the same time, even um, aside from regulation, uh, there is simply growing interest and growing emphasis from business partners, especially from uh, larger multinational corporations on their business partners within their global value chains, uh, from investors, from also just consumer uh, expectations. They want to know that the business, that uh, products and services they purchase, you know, have been uh, produced in a way that doesn't um, 
harm the environment or doesn't have negative uh, impact on, on, on workers, uh, for instance, or doesn't affect local communities in some negative way. Uh, so there are a lot of factors that, that, that come together here, uh, but in, uh, in, in a way, um, it's not new. So, you know, over decades, uh, as global value chains have been developing, local businesses had to uh, um, consider and adapt to international standards in various areas. So from product quality to operational safety uh, to anti-corruption and bribery standards. Uh, so the focus on, on sustainability standards, it's just the latest uh, step in this larger, very complex, uh, very hard process of uh, really ironing out how do we see we as, as, as the global uh, business community, how do we see the, the, the rules of the game and how do we see sort of the, the standards for international business uh, cooperation and exchanges. Um, obviously, as those standards evolve, uh, compliance presents um, a problem for businesses, especially in the uh, uh, developing countries, especially smaller businesses who may aspire to be part of the global value chains, but because of lack of knowledge, maybe um, lack of capacity to comply, lack of resources, all of local uh, private sector organizations, uh, they, through, through the fact that they um, have this multiplier effect, right? they have uh, often large memberships, they can be the conduits to help local businesses understand what the sustainability standards um, are. And also as the conversations about those standards are happening in those different countries, uh, chambers and associations can be helpful in you know, the dialogue with the decision makers on what those rules, what those standards should be in a given country so that um, local businesses are part of the conversation. You know, what we see, um, so the, the danger of overemphasizing kind of top-down uh, standards is that not everybody may be able to comply. So we don't want to set standards that are so rigid that only uh, large resource-rich corporations are able to comply but then de facto smaller businesses are not because that, uh, that would be um, a barrier to their participation in global value chains. Um, and uh, we see it as, as, a, as an important uh, priority for um, countries and for, for governments to help those local uh, companies be educated, be ready to uh, comply and join the global value chains. Yeah, thank you so much once again. And I think that's a great overall context in which to place the discussion around sustainability. So building on from there, um, Ritika, if I can get you in um, at this point, um, India has known, is, is, has been getting a lot of recent attention for its unicorn and startup ecosystems. And the role of digital startups in promoting innovations in global value chains in India is, is something that's on the rise. Um, what are the different ways in which you feel the Indian startup ecosystem can provide some suggestions or guidelines to LDCs to learn and adapt to move upward in higher value chains? Sure. Well, first, thank you so much for, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here um, and appreciate CII's leadership and um, uh, efforts uh, in this B20 process. Um, so on this question, it's a great question because India has the third largest startup ecosystem in the world. Um, so there's a huge amount that has um, been done uh, recently and a, a huge amount of growth that we've seen in India. But Indian startups actually only make up 
about 4% of, of globally recognized unicorns, which is startups that are valued at a billion dollars or more. Um, so if we are seeing a huge number of startups in India, we you know, are, are kind of asking ourselves what remains to be done and what India is doing right um, in this um, startup ecosystem. So the, a, couple of, a couple of thoughts on that. Um, the first is the growth of the digital economy. And that really is a big opportunity for building inclusive global value chains because all digital startup ecosystems require the right policy framework and the right business environment to succeed. Um, the problem though, is that there is no global consensus on what that looks like exactly. And so I just wanted to um, outline a, a couple of key areas that we can think about as a starting point for an enabling digital economy. SIPE and the New Markets Lab actually published a guide called the Digital Economy Enabling Environment Guide that outlines some key areas for dialogue for business and policymakers. And the four areas that are listed in that guide are data privacy, consumer protection, e-payments and e-signatures and cybersecurity. So those are some of the key areas that um, really need to be honed in on and policy needs to be developed around in order to develop um, an effective um, uh, enabling digital environment. But also, I would say it's important to strike a better balance between regulation and implementation. And this is something that affects all businesses, not just startups, but it affects startups much more strongly um, and governments tend to sometimes overregulate but underimplement. So this is something that is a, a tricky balance, um, but one that every government has to deal with. And um, the next area that I would outline would be um, kind of moving from informal mentorship to to real startup accelerators. This is a, a ripe area for public-private partnerships. We've seen this happen a lot in India, but still we also know that a lot of mentorship is very informal um, and that I think hinders the, the true growth of a startup ecosystem. Um, also, it's incredibly important to invest and improve ICT infrastructure um, for, for the growth of the startup industry. Digital literacy, of course, is a huge area for India and other LDCs as well. And lastly, I would say just developing capital markets and access to early capital, because the reason that startups often um, don't move past the infancy stage is because of the lack of funding from venture capital and, and private equity. So these are essential for startups in particular. Yeah, thank you so much. That was a really interesting answer. And, you know, just to move on from there, um, under India's leadership this year, the G20 has the opportunity to meaningfully advance, you know, transparent policies for things like inclusive trade, foreign direct investment, innovation, uh, greater participation in global global value chains. Um, out of these em emerging policy priorities, what are the aspects that are most important for um, small and medium scale enterprises and the MSME sector? Sure. Um, first, you know, I think it's great to um, to to see India's leadership in the B20 process, the G20 uh, uh, 
uh, process this year, it's been incredibly important because of India's place in the world and its economic and, and democratic models. Um, but from the draft recommendations of our B20 Inclusive Global Value Chains Task Force, I think all of them are a good starting point, but from the MSME perspective, recommendation four on fostering inclusive trade really is key. Um, we've seen a lot of popular discontent with globalization and trade, a lot of populism um, and populist movements around the world that um, have, in, it, particularly after the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and so for MSMEs, I think that this is a, a really important thing um, and partnering with multinational corporations also is a, a good opportunity to join global value chains. So we already see that happening, but there's definitely room for, for more um, work there in that, um, in that as on that aspect in particular. Um, and furthermore, regional cooperation can also grow markets beyond country borders. So I think that is mentioned in the recommendations, but that is particularly important for MSMEs um, to expand um, market access. Um, the one other thing that I would mention too is youth and women um, and their uh, place in inclusive and sustainable global value chains. Um, resilience is something that we've been thinking about a lot at SIPE, but in general, um, again, because of the, the questions that arose during the pandemic and preparedness of small businesses, of MSMEs. So um, the, the effective and sustainable inclusion of youth and women is uh, something that is going to be particularly important in the future. Right, thank you. And on that note, I think conclude this discussion for today. Anna, can I? Uh, would you like to um, have a word at the end if I could bring you back in on any of the topics that we discussed? Well, I would just emphasize, you know, the, what we started. We emphasize what we started with, which is, um, despite when we when we think about the barriers, when we think about challenges, it it may all feel a little overwhelming, right? But um, I think there's a lot of uh, hope a lot of opportunity coming out of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic to really rethink how we can make the global economy um, global trade investment and so on uh, work better overall and in particular better for those uh, smaller enterprises or groups that might have in the past not been able to participate um, as much so from that perspective, the dialogue that is happening uh, through G20 consultative mechanisms and of course from our perspective, since that's, that's where we uh, participate, the B20 perspective has been really crucial, uh, really fruitful and uh, I'm excited. I'm optimistic that uh, we will be able to, we uh, globally, uh, as, as this global business community, uh, will be able to meaningfully uh, move the needle on some important um, reforms uh, and through this important cooperation between the private sector and uh, governments both at the national level and through international mechanisms um, we can really uh, implement uh, some of the, the, the at least some uh, of the key recommendations that uh, we've been talking about here. Thank you. That is our hope as well, of course. And on that note, um, we'll end the podcast for today. Uh, thank you both for joining us on the CII podcast and thank you for making time. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.